0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer.
1: And I'm Katie Ganey. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture.
0: And today it is another throwback episode, but also Katie's favorite movie, which is the Shawshank Redemption, here on episode number 52 of the Silver Screen Podcast. We talked about my favorite movie, Inception, on the last episode. Now we're talking about Katie's favorite movie. And I know you are very excited to talk about the Shawshank Redemption today. <laughs>
1: Jared, it was it was the only thing I looked forward to today.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. So we will mention it is leaving Netflix. By the time you hear this, it will have left Netflix. Oh. As movies always do when we talk about them and they're on Netflix, they leave very soon after. Although I feel like this movie was not on Netflix that long. I feel like it got on there in like March or something and now it's already gone. I mean, it was not on there very long at all. So it really, they really I let know. it go quick. I think you're right. So, short-term contract Mm -hmm. for the Shawshank Redemption on Netflix. So, it is not on there anymore, (laughs) though, but you can readily find it other places, and uh, once your local library and half-price books open back up, and Goodwill, I will guarantee you that there are copies there that you can (laughs) pick up. So, if you have not seen it, all those places have copies. So. Also, we will warn you there'll be a tiny bit of language in this episode just because of some of the characters' names and also some of the quotes uh, Katie wants to read. They have some cuss words in them (laughs) because that's really the main reason this movie is rated R is because of cussing and some violence. So, yeah, that's mainly it. Um, yep. But before we get to that, we have a couple news items to talk about real quick. The first one of those is that uh, Netflix, the same company that we just trashed on a minute ago, released a trailer <laughs> for a documentary that is coming out about Michelle Obama when she's on her book tour for her book Becoming that came out, I think, about a year ago at this point. And that'll be out on Netflix on May 6th. So that'll be pretty cool to watch, I think.
1: I... I feel so bad. I still haven't read it. I know I kept saying I was going to read it, It's it's but it's intentional. I've read, I think I'm on my 15th or 16th okay. book of social distancing, nice. which is great. However, I'm, I'm going in an order. So like okay. I posted however many I wanted to read and then I'm trying to get through like all my book of the month books that have been stacking up. Okay. And then I'm trying to do like a thriller and then something different. And I'm also being strategic about how long they are and how quickly I know I can read them. Like I know a thriller, if it's good, I'll read it quickly and I will be like engaged, but it'll be like a two day thing and I'm done. Mm -hmm. So I'm saving hers for almost the end because I know it's going to take more time and concentration. And also again, it's like, I just want to take it all in. I don't want to speed read it because of a deadline or something. So I'm going to save it for almost last.
0: Nice. There you go. Yeah. So, and you're definitely going to be hitting your uh, book reading goal on Goodreads. Oh, I've already hit it. Yes. So already passed it. It's already done. Thanks coronavirus. So (laughs) not um, to
1: brag, but it's already completed.
0: (laughs) Yes. That will be on Netflix coming up on May 6th. So you can check that out. And then two other news items. The first one of these was announced today, the day that we're recording this, which is April 29th. So basically, Trolls World Tour, which I think we mentioned on this podcast maybe a little bit, it comes out um, just on streaming. Basically, it was supposed to come out in the theater, but Universal decided we're just going to put it on streaming because nobody can go to the movie theater right now. And that was that. So, and it's actually been pretty successful for them because the chairman of NBC Universal, his name's Jeff Shell. He said it made about a hundred million dollars in rental fees, and about five million people have paid to rent it. Um, so, at twenty dollars a pop, that kind of adds up right there. So. That, that makes sense, and that's actually a really nice amount of money earned for this movie, considering it, I don't think they expected it to do that well on streaming. So that was the first part of this. But then he came out in a, in a um, press release and basically said, as soon as theaters we op- reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats. So what that means is that he thinks they might release some movies in theaters. They also might send some straight to streaming, or they might do a combination where it's in theaters and then like, you know, a couple weeks later it comes on streaming faster or whatever. Um in that case. So because of that though, the CEO of AMC, which is the biggest theater chain obviously in the country, said that because of that comment they are not going to play any Universal movies in any of their theaters in the United States, Europe, or Middle East. And the CEO of AMC said that policy is not some hollow or ill considered threat. So they cracked down pretty hard on this. I feel like the guy from NBC was just kind of like, We did this for this movie. It's unprecedented times. We might weigh mm-hmm. our options in the future but I feel like the AMC CEO took this really seriously. So again, that's that just came out today. By the time you hear this, they could have reached an agreement or something. Obviously, there'll be no new movies coming out for a couple of months, but it's pretty big if the world's largest theater chain says, hey, one of the biggest movie studios, we're not going to show your movies in our theaters. And I know for some people, not where I am, and I don't think where you are, but for some people in smaller cities or a city where AMC is their only option, that really limits them to what they could possibly see, especially if no universal movies will be coming out in AMC theaters.
1: Definitely. I mean, I I was to me, this seems really kind of like immature of these execs yeah. to just trash talk like this openly. And I think you guys, people are dying every day. This isn't really super improving yet. I, I can't super improving. I don't know what I'm saying there, but um, like, I just feel like uh, we're in the middle of it is unprecedented. It's a global pandemic. People are dying left and right. I don't know that the most important issue right now is the movie industry and they're certainly not hurting from it. You know what I mean? They're still, their movies are still going to come out. They're going to come out later than expected. Those people have more money than God. They don't need it anyway. I don't, (laughs) I don't get it to me. This is just so trivial. I pretended to care for five minutes this morning when you sent the article to me, but I was also like, you know what, whatever. It just seems so juvenile to me. Um, and if anything, it just upset me upset me more than anything else. And Although at the same time, I love you and I both love movies and the experience of going to the theater, but AMC is not my option here. Mm-hmm. It, it was in Indianapolis, but it's not my option here. They don't have one close by. So yeah, it's not going to affect in, me greatly either.
0: In my city, either, in Lafayette. So there's no AMCs mm-hmm. here either. So, again, yeah, Yeah. it's not going to have a huge effect on me, but I know some of the surrounding cities that are close to Lafayette that maybe only have one theater that an AMC. So, that could be an issue for some of these uh, smaller cities, per se. So, we'll see what happens there. Uh, The CEO of AMC said, yeah, we didn't mind them releasing Trolls digitally because it was an exception in these unprecedented times, but... Going forward, you know, we don't want you to release, like, Fast 9 on streaming. But here's the thing. Universal is not going to do that because they're not going to make nearly as much money on there as they could if it came out in theaters. Also, for a movie Mm -hmm. like that or a big blockbuster, you want to see it on the big screen. Like, Trolls World Tour, it probably doesn't make a difference if you see it in the movie theater or if you see it on your TV. But, like, you know, Fast and Furious 9 is going to have a way bigger impact if you see it on a huge screen than on your TV at home. So, at least the first time that you see it. So... That was that. And then the other news item is that the Oscars, which are still slated to happen in February, have made a one-time only decision to allow movies initially made available via streaming or video on demand to compete for Best Picture in next year's Oscars. So this is only movies that previously had a previously planned theatrical release so I don't think that'll affect a ton of stuff later in the year but like if something came out that you know like Trolls World Tour I guess would be an example Like, that could get nominated for best animated film I guess possibly Mm -hmm. Um, but for that situation since it was supposed to come out in theaters and then it couldn't they'll allow it but they're still not allowing things this doesn't mean they're allowing things from like Netflix or just you know Amazon Prime or Hulu or places like that that might release content that is only digitally it has to have been scheduled for a theatrical release, and then that theatrical release didn't oh, happen, basically. So uh, I see because the Oscars are. I'm really still glad
1: you cleared that up for me.
0: Yeah, the Oscars are still in 1942, so they haven't accepted the fact that, you know, we could just have streaming (laughs) movies also be nominated for Oscars that didn't, which is why Netflix all the time, when they, like, you'll, you'll, you're probably thinking, well, Marriage Story and Irishman got nominated for Best Picture. Yes, but Netflix also had to, like, show those in a couple theaters for two weeks so that they'd be eligible. It's kind of a dumb rule at this point, given everything that gets posted online, but that will be happening. Obviously, Steven Spielberg is the one big person that has come out and said we got to keep the distinction between streaming movies and theatrical movies. Um, And then the date for the Academy Awards still remains on February 28th. Although they could, they also announced they could change that if things are still going on. And they changed a few other things, including allowing all members now to vote in the international feature film category. And they combined sound mixing and sound editing into one sound category. And this will also be the last year that they send DVD screeners out to voters. After this, going forward, they will have digital versions. So, wow. Eighty-five-year-old Ethel, who's an Oscar voter, will have to learn how to use the old computer to watch next—not next year's, but the year after's uh, Oscar movies. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that. So I—I I think that's fine. It kind of makes sense. Again, it doesn't. It's the clarification on it is a little weird. The headline that CNN has is Oscars make one-time exception for streaming eligibility because of coronavirus. That's a little misleading once you actually read the article and see what it is, because that makes it sound like anything that's on streaming could qualify. But that's
1: how I read it. Yeah. So I'm glad you cleared the case.
0: So, Mm -hmm. but um, we'll see. Again, Oscars are still ways away, so we'll see what happens with those. But hopefully, in February, we're kind of back to normal, so we can we can have the Oscars like we did this year. So. We'll see. So that's that. Um, and then, real quick, we'll just mention some stuff that we're watching or reading right now. Um, Katie, I know you watched a couple of things on Netflix and you're still reading a couple of books too, which you've already mentioned a little bit as well.
1: Yes. So, book wise, I finished Dark Matter, which I had recommended. It was excellent. And it was sci fi, again, which I don't normally read. Loved it. I read The Guest List. That was another one by an author, Lucy Foley, that I had read before. I didn't like this book as much as her first one, but she's a great writer. It was a great thriller. And then now I'm reading a book called Final Girls, and it's by Riley Sager. That's the only one I'm currently reading. But he uh, wrote one of the books I read earlier in social distancing called Lock Every Door, and it was fantastic. So I can't wait to read this. And then of the shows I watched, um, I would like to recommend both Too Hot to Handle and Waco, and those are (laughs) intentional. They're both on Netflix, so... Accessible to a lot of people too hot to handle is ridiculous. It's hot (laughs) mess express. It's just as dirty and salacious as tiger King. However, (laughs) if you're someone during social distancing that is like, life is terrible. I'm so sad. I just want to watch something ridiculous. Please enjoy too hot to handle. Yeah. If you are someone who's like, I love conspiracy theories. I love cults. I love true crime. I love it all. And I don't mind watching something messed up right now. Please watch Waco. Okay, Waco was extremely well acted and entertaining, but it is a depressing story. Um, and because it was so well done, I actually found myself thinking it was like happening as I was watching it, but I was alive when it happened. So I had a pretty fair understanding of what went on. Um, but it did leave me feeling enraged about how the entire situation was handled and pretty disgusted by the Branch Davidians, but also the FBI and the ATF task force and all that stuff. So anyway, um, I highly recommend them both. But again, if you want lighthearted fare, please watch Too Hot to Handle. Don't watch it with your kids. It's inappropriate.
0: Good to know. So <laughs> I have two things that I've been watching, too. Um, I'm still continuing Westworld, obviously, because I'm still kind of cruising through that. But one thing that has started since we've been social distancing is The Last Dance, which is a documentary on ESPN about the 97-98 Chicago Bulls. So Michael Jordan... Scotty mm-hmm. Pippen, Dennis Rodman, all of them are in it mm-hmm. um, and it's 10 episodes so they're releasing two parts every week basically so we're up to through part 4 right now but if you're a sports fan and you're missing sports right now if you're a basketball fan if you grew up during that time and you kind of remember that team when they were really good that was I was only 5 when they were when that year would have happened so I was a little too young I wasn't totally into NBA basketball yet but I do remember Michael Jordan and he played in the NBA when I started to become a fan and everything so but if you really want a well-made documentary um, we have said before on this show that the best documentaries are the ones that get the best access with all the people involved and this one has mm-hmm. you know they do have Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman, Scotty Pippen they're all being interviewed for this. Um, lots of other people are in the documentary as well. Uh, President Obama makes an appearance. President Clinton makes an appearance so <laughs> there are a lot, wow. of, a lot of people in this documentary and it wasn't cool. supposed to come out until June but they actually moved it earlier because of Coronavirus and they were able to get it done and everything. So that's really good. And then the other thing that I would suggest if you like kind of true crime stuff, which has been out for a little while now, um, is McMillions, which is on HBO, and it is about how a man basically scammed the McDonald's Monopoly game. So they don't really do that anymore because mm-hmm. of the cheating that occurred in this documentary kind of goes into that cheating scandal and how it happened and all that wow. stuff. So that's another interesting one that I finished up a couple weeks ago because um it was the same thing where it was doing like an episode a week or whatever it took a little while to get through them all but that's another Mm -hmm. really good kind of true crime documentary if you want to watch that so cool that's that's what we've been watching during this time I'm still reading the same book because I'm really slow so (laughs)
1: that's okay
0: Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine I'm still reading that so (laughs) we'll get through it eventually (laughs) And with that, we'll get into the Shawshank Redemption. This was released. There's a couple different opinions on this. One, it was released on September 23rd, 1994 for test audiences. And then it was released on October 14th, 1994 for wide release. And it's rated R for language and prison violence. It's two hours and 22 minutes. IMDb, 9.3 out of 10. As some people know, it is, I think, the highest rated movie on IMDb. It is. I
1: double-checked it last (laughs)
0: night. so It is still the
1: highest rated.
0: On Rotten Tomatoes, critics 90%, audience 98%. So this is a universally loved movie, and its budget was $25 million, which is not that much for a movie. Granted, it was made in 1994, but that's still not a huge budget for a film, especially if you look at today's numbers. So... It did make $28 million worldwide in its uh, first release. And then it got nominated for a lot of Oscars and they re-released it and it made an additional $12 million. And then the worldwide total ended up being $58 million. So it made about another $30 million total worldwide once it was re-released because of all the Oscar buzz and, and everything that happens there. So if you don't know the synopsis for this movie... In 1946, a banker named Andy Dufresne is convicted of a double murder even though he stubbornly proclaims his innocence. Once in prison, he bonds with other inmates, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. And that's basically what happens to the whole movie. You follow him, you follow some other prisoners. The other big one is Red, who is played by Morgan Freeman, and you learn their stories and kind of see their friendship grow. And while in prison, Andy does a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And because of that... He, he kind of wins some brownie points and then is able to, you know, have the stuff happen to him that does. So which is good. So that's the synopsis. We're not going to talk too much about the critics because this movie came out a while ago. But we will just kind of touch on the critics reviews real quick. So the first of those is Zaki Hassan of the San Francisco Chronicle. Who says, cinematic alchemy of a kind that's all too rare, prepared propelled by a supremely talented cast, a sumptuous score by Thomas Newman, and a first-rate script and direction from first-timer Frank Darabont. So, mm-hmm. and this is kind of, we'll talk about him in just a second, but it is really amazing that this was his first movie that he ever directed, and it turned out to be this, one of the best movies of all time, you could argue. I
1: mean, Frank, <laughs> Frank Darabont, he also wrote the screenplay. Like, I, I just can't believe... The good fortune that came from this film. And I did forget, I didn't put this in the notes, but this movie ended up being nominated for seven Oscars, but it didn't win a single one.
0: Yeah, one of the bigger snubs at the Academy Awards, which is Mm -hmm. unfortunate because it definitely should have won something. So next up is Janet Maslin of the New York Times, who says, without a single riot scene or horrific effect, it tells a slow, gentle story of camaraderie and growth with an ending that abruptly finds poetic justice in what has come before. And we'll talk about that more later, but that's one of my favorite parts about this movie is the way that it does end. I think they just nailed the ending on, on this movie. So we'll mention that a little bit later. And then finally is Rita Kempley of the Washington Post, who says it's devoutly old fashioned, spiritually uplifting prison drama about two lifers who must break their emotional shackles before they can finally become free men. And as we mentioned, it's directed by Frank Darabont. This was his directorial debut. He wrote the screenplay. He also directed The Green Mile, another prison movie, which is kind of interesting that he also did that one and also The Mist. And he writes right now for The Walking Dead. And Katie, you found out uh, Mm -hmm. a fun fact about him, too
1: oh yes absolutely so I thought this was interesting he was actually born in a refugee camp in 1959 he has Hungarian parents and it was during the Hungarian Revolution so they left Budapest I thought that was just really really cool because I I feel like I definitely wouldn't have been able to tell you about a Hungarian Revolution but the fact that he grew up amidst some of some real conflict when he was born and then they moved to LA um, but he said he grew up pr- fairly poor so he also said okay. that impacted the kind of movies he he wanted to make and i'm sure it also impacted actually how he could make this movie on a budget um, but frank darabont up to this point he's been nominated for three oscars um, they were all for shawshank and green mile
0: nice very nice and with that we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the casts and likes and dislikes and all that stuff about the shawshank redemption and we're back here on the Silver Screen Podcast talking about the Shawshank Redemption. Now getting into the cast. We're just going to focus on the main three people in this movie. First of those is Tim Robbins. Oh,
1: I love Tim Robbins. <laughs> um, I don't have a crush alert on him, so don't worry. Okay. I actually, I, I love almost every male in this movie, um, but it's with like a fondness, not a they're super good looking. Um, so Tim Robbins, of course, plays Andy Dufresne. He's best known for Bull Durham, Mystic River, and The Player. He was recently in a movie, Dark Waters, which I loved. That was with Mark Ruffalo. And then he's also in the TV series Castle Rock, which I thought was also a fun fact because the production company that produced Shawshank was Castle Rock Productions. Hmm. Um, he's been nominated for two Oscars, and he did win Best Supporting Actor for Mystic River in 2003.
0: Nice. Very nice. And the next up is Morgan Freeman.
1: Mm. Love Morgan Freeman. <laughs> He plays Ellis Boyd Red Redding. He goes by Red in the film, of course. He is best known for Seven, Invictus, Driving Miss Daisy, and Million Dollar Baby. He has three movies currently in post production. I've kind of stopped listing stopped listing some of those because a lot of them are getting pushed back and stuff. So I kind of just don't yeah. want to, you know, waste anyone's time. Um, this man's been nominated for five Oscars already, and he has won Best Supporting Actor for Million Dollar Baby in two thousand five.
0: Nice. Also, if you would have, if we were doing like trivia and you asked me what movie has Morgan yes. Freeman won an Oscar for, I would not have guessed Million Dollar Baby.
1: Neither would I. I actually would have thought it was Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, but me
0: too. So,
1: Alas. Um, also, I haven't seen Mystic River or Million Dollar Baby because I know they're super depressing. And so it's funny that the two movies they've won yeah. for, I haven't seen. Million
0: dollar, I have not seen Mr. Griver, but Million Dollar Baby is extremely depressing. So yeah. don't it's watch that Netflix. when you want a happy movie. So <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, lastly, we have Bob Gunton. I absolutely love Bob Gunton. He plays Warden Norton, who is probably one of the foulest most horrible characters ever on screen he is known for daredevil mountaintop in the tv series 24 he is definitely a famous character actor that you've seen in a lot of things so i just listed a couple Um, next he's actually going to be in a documentary called the gettysburg address and that is currently in post-production and i definitely didn't want to go without mentioning the supporting cast Even if you don't recognize their names, I guarantee you know all of these people. William Sadler, Clancy Brown, Gil Bellows. Gil's the only one you might not recognize, but he plays Tommy in the film. And then James Whitmore plays Brooks, who I love that character, but um, he already he has passed away. I remember when he died a couple years ago. I was really sad.
0: Yeah, he's the uh, he's the sweet man that runs the library at the prison before before Andy takes it over. So Uh. (laughs) I (laughs) love. And you also found some fun facts about this movie because it's your favorite movie. And this Mm -hmm. is kind of based, it's based on a Stephen King um, novella, if you will. So that's where the story comes from. But there's a couple of other fun facts and you've actually been to where the movie was filmed in Ohio. Um, So even though it's set in Maine, they filmed it in Ohio. So you know a lot about this movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, not to brag. Um, Also, I thought it was weird last night. I was thinking about they filmed this in Ohio and I currently live in Ohio. And then I was thinking about Tom Hanks because he comes up in the fun facts and every episode of the Silver Screen (laughs) podcast. But he Uh, filmed Forrest Gump in Savannah and I used to live in Savannah and I thought that was interesting. Nice. Um, But Frank Darabont, he wrote a check to the rights for Stephen King's story. Uh, The short story was called is called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which I have read and I highly recommend. It's short. It's wonderful. And there are definitely some differences from the movie. They follow it really well, but there's some some major changes. Anyway, he bought the rights for five thousand dollars. King never cashed the check. And then he later framed it, mailed it back to Darabont with a note that said, in case you ever need bail money, love, Steve. Um and I wanted to let you know too if you do want to read the story it's in Stephen King's collection of stories it's called Different Seasons. So The Body is also in the book. Um so the movie Stand by Me is based on The Body that has okay. River Phoenix and Jerry O'Connell. Um but it's one of my dad's favorite. He loves Stand by Me. He loves that movie. Um I read his copy of Different Seasons. So just wanted to say that that the mo- the book is definitely worth reading. Nice. Next, we have um, Rob Reiner. He co-founded Castle Rock Productions, and he wanted to direct the film. He had already directed another King adaptation, Stand By Me, and then he also went on to direct Misery, Um, but he did not end up directing it. Obviously, Frank Darabont Mm -hmm. did.
0: And I would say if he would have directed it, I think it still would have been good. Um, because oh, yeah. he does yeah. the, he's really good at those types of movies where they tell emotional stories. So I don't think yeah. if he would have directed it, it would have dropped in quality at all. It just didn't work out at the time for him to for him to direct it. So
1: yeah, Rob Reiner is one of those directors that I don't think about first in my mind, but then I look at the list of films he's done, and I love every movie I've seen that he's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Liz Glotzer, Glotzer, excuse me. She might not sound familiar to you. She wasn't to me, but she was a producer on the film and she had a huge role. Like she made major decisions with this film and she loved the screenplay so much that she threatened to quit if Castle Rock didn't produce the film. (laughs) So she was putting it on the line before she needed to. Um, But she was the one who ultimately suggested Morgan Freeman for the role of red. A bunch of people were considered, but I didn't want to bore you with details. However, it is interesting that Kevin Costner, Tom Cruise, and Tom Hanks were offered the role of Andy before Tim Robbins, and Tom Hanks had to pass because he was filming Forrest Gump. But I said the decision seemed to work out well for both of them because they ended up going on to have hugely successful (laughs) careers and already did, and then Tom Hanks won that year for Forrest Gump. Yes. Won the Oscar. Yes. Yes. And then this was crazy. I, Jared, I was so proud I noticed this. I had never noticed Roger Deakins' name in the credits at the beginning until I was watching it last night. So Roger Deakins might sound familiar to you. He was the cinematographer in the movie. Tim Robbins suggested they use him. And the reason he might sound familiar is because he's been nominated for 14 Oscars. (laughs) he's won twice and you might know him because he recently won for Blade Runner 2049 and then last year he won for 1917 but he's a very famous cinematographer. Yeah,
0: and I did really like the cinematography in this movie and I thought about it while I was watching yes. it because it was back in the 90s and there's a lot of shots that are like you see over the prison or they like pan out, they're closed down on somebody and then they pan out, which like today would be very easy to do with like a drone, but they didn't have Mm -hmm. those back in the mid nineties. So they were probably using like a helicopter or some other form of technology to get those shots. And of course, one of the most iconic shots in the movie is when um, Andy is crawling through the sewer. And obviously the way that looks, the way it does is because of Roger Deakins. So he's definitely (laughs) responsible for that.
1: Yeah, and I, I should have mentioned too, I don't know if I did, I got almost all this information from Wikipedia, and I think Wikipedia is wonderful, but I don't always use them, but they <laughs> had so much good knowledge, so if you're as obsessed with this movie as I am, read yeah, the entire I, page, it's fascinating. I think they're,
0: uh, they're fine to use for fun facts for movies, I wouldn't write like a, you know, official document or a school paper <laughs> with right, them, but right. you know, movie fun facts, should go for it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, So I thought this was fun. Brad Pitt was originally supposed to play Tommy, who's the Elvis looking character, but he dropped out because he actually was becoming very popular due to Thelma and Louise. So I think he had other offers and he decided not to do Shawshank. Um, I don't know that he regrets it. I haven't read that he did because he obviously went on to be fine, too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Morgan Freeman's. I did know this because I learned this when I went to the prison. Morgan Freeman's son, Alfonso, he's the mugshot picture in the movie. You can kind of tell, too, when you look. Um, But he also got to voice one of the, in the early scenes, he got to yell when the men are yelling fresh fish to the newcomers because they're trying to scare them and (laughs) terrorize them on their first day. He got to be one of the voices. And then this was interesting. Interesting. Darabont didn't want the sappy ending, so he filmed two options. But the test audiences loved the ending with Red and Andy so much that he kept it in. Because he was like, this is sappy, and it just seems too easy. And they were like, no, that we have to see them reunited. This is this is what makes it complete.
0: Do you know what the other ending was going to be, by chance, um, at all? Yes. Okay. Actually,
1: yes. It just said that you saw it would end when Red um, got on a bus or... I think okay. they, I think they thought about ending it either on a bus like you don't know where he's going. It's ambiguous or
0: okay.
1: you just see him, um, I think, in that boarding house place or whatever. And you yeah. don't really know what he's going to do, but you don't think he's going to kill himself.
0: OK, so would it ended like three minutes earlier than it actually? Yeah, ends, Probably. to <laughs> me,
1: the ending that it has is so satisfying yeah. not in a sappy way. It's like it's like exactly I feel like Shawshank for me is the movie ending. It's everything you want.
0: Mm hmm. It's yep. like, it's
1: not too much. It's not too little, but it is exactly what you yeah. want.
0: Because I mean, we'll just go ahead and kind of spoil it if you haven't seen yeah, it. But I, I mean, I <laughs> you know, Andy gets out, then Red gets out and then yep. red gets reunited with andy at the very end and you know that's just a really sweet moment because it's a big moment of friendship and camaraderie and them coming together again and it's yeah. just a really nice ending which like you said i think if we wouldn't have seen the both of them reunite at the end still would have been a good movie but that scene really just makes the ending of that movie when they meet each other on the yes. beach there and they hug and then and then it's over. so
1: <laughs> yeah. And then the scene in zawantanejo it's supposed to be that. It's actually was filmed in St. Croix of the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I, I was like, oh, that totally adds up because that water was too pretty and too blue. And I was like, there is yeah. no way. No way.
0: That water almost um, looks fake at times, honestly. And
1: that's what I thought. Um So the pipe in the film, I just said this to make anyone who is like me, who is terrified, doesn't like germs and just dirtiness in general. Um, The pipe that Andy crawls through, that's supposed to be a sewer pipe. It was actually filled with water, chocolate syrup and sawdust. Okay. And then Arjun wanted me to promise that I mention So they so Morgan Freeman in the film says something about a shitty pipe dream.
0: Yes. Or a shit
1: pipe dream. (laughs) And that's a joke because it's like a call back to what's about. It's it's about to it's foreshadowing because only like 15 minutes later is when Andy escapes. So anyway, (laughs) Arjun was like, that's so funny. Okay. And then, uh, (laughs) however, I wanted to mention too the water that Tim Robbins swims in at the end when they were filming, that water was actually toxic. They knew it was toxic. So it was very dangerous for him to be in it. But they had to film that scene. But they had only one night to get it. So okay. when he comes out of the pipe and yep. falls in the water and swims or whatever, that was toxic water.
0: Okay. And that makes sense because the stuff where he's in the pipe, you can kind of film that whenever, but that when he gets out, that yes. happens at night while it's raining. So that makes sense.
1: Yes. I will save. I'm going to save my adventure for the end. Um, Okay. But this is also alongside the Big Lebowski. That's a callback to a previous episode of the Silver Screen podcast. Um, But this is alongside the Big Lebowski in the Library of Congress. Um, It's listed on the National Film Registry. Nice made me really happy and then in 1999 i i've mentioned before i really like roger ebert um and i've been to ebert fest in illinois and stuff and he put uh in 1999 so he he has passed away since then but he put this on his list of the great movies which is a big deal and it is currently number 72 on afi's top 100 movies i did double check that last night um that's it has slow. moved around but it's it's <laughs> been on but out of a hundred movies that's true. i mean yeah. that's the fact that it's on, it's important. The top and it's it's yeah. been on it for years. Like I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know that I can say with certainty it's been on it every year since it was made, but it's been on there a long time. And then my last fun fact is just really about, I had an adventure. So the movie was primarily filmed in Ohio at the Ohio state reformatory. Shout out. It's also called the Mansfield prison. Cause it's in Mansfield, Ohio. And in 2019, it was reported that due that due to tourism, the reformatory is still generating sixteen million dollars in revenue a year. That's from people visiting it. <laughs> and then, so here's so my story is in two thousand fourteen in August, I got to go with my parents. This is actually listed on Wikipedia too about this party. So my parents, I don't even remember how they found out. But I had to go. So I hadn't moved to Georgia yet. And my parents were like, hey, they're going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Shawshank coming out. Because the film actually premiered at the Renaissance Festival or Ren- about, Sorry, Renaissance Theater okay. was where the premiere was held, which was a big deal for Ohio. That doesn't happen to Hollywood. Like Hollywood people don't do that. Yeah. so then they had a cocktail party you had to pay extra but it wasn't outrageous i mean i do remember i think for all of us to go i think each ticket was 50 to 100 dollars. okay so it was a pricey family outing but it was only three of us my brother couldn't go and my dad and i are obsessed with this film so this was (laughs) this was worth every minute and ohio from indiana wasn't a long trip either um anyway so and then the cast members were there. And then you also got to see um, you got to have this fancy cocktail party, food and drinks. And I was old enough, which was great. And then you could tour the prison and they have so many of the actual props. A lot of things are set up still from the movie. Um, but before everybody freaks out, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman were not there, but I did get to talk to Frank Madrano, He plays fatass, James Kosicki. Who's the bank manager. Scott Mann, who's the golf pro at the very beginning, Renee Blaine, who's the Andy's wife, Mm -hmm. and then Bob Gunton. I got to have an actual full conversation with Bob Gunton, who plays the warden. He was absolutely wonderful. Shout out, Bob, if you listen to this. (laughs) Um, But I will definitely post pictures on social media. I mainly wanted to say it, though, because if you love this movie, so many people do. You can see all of this stuff for yourself. The only thing is they won't be having a cocktail party with the celebs. Yeah. It was amazing. It's in the middle of Ohio. Um, It's really worth seeing. And the only thing that's changed since I was there was, unfortunately, the tree that Andy, that's where Red finds Andy's box and everything. And uh, Andy proposed to his wife under the tree. That tree, when I saw it in 2014, it had been struck by lightning. So only half the tree was still standing. Um, But unfortunately, wind, there was a huge storm in 2016 and it completely fell down. So there's no longer a tree, but you can still go out there. And there's 15 different locations from the movie that you can travel to all in that area of Ohio. So definitely worth it.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. If you like that movie, definitely go check that out because that's a cool thing to do whenever you can go to like a movie set that is a real location. That's always really neat. So, and with that, we'll move into likes for this movie. Katie obviously has a lot of likes cause it's her favorite movie. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so we'll just, I'm just kinda, so excited. we'll just kind of cruise through these, but I mean the main things that you think about when, at least what I think about when you watch this movie is that, the characters in this movie are really what makes the movie. The characters in the script because the characters are so well acted and well thought out and the people that play them do such a good job that it makes you form such a deep emotional connection with them and that is really what makes the movie I think. I I mean I couldn't see really anybody else other than Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman playing the lead roles just because they do such a great job in the role and then having Morgan Freeman narrate at times is also great because he's got an amazing voice so I The characters, I think, are are definitely my favorite part of the movie.
1: Oh, my gosh. I couldn't agree more. I I love that they had like it was kind of like a Scarlett O'Hara role where everybody wanted to be in it. And a lot of people were offered the roles. But I now that I've seen this movie eight million times, there's no other people I think that could play any of those parts. I absolutely loved it. And I think what I love about the characters is how complex they are. They're really well developed Um, characters, which I think is good writing. It's not just good acting on, on the actor's part, Mm -hmm. but they're complex. I mean, all of these men are in jail. Like you don't, all of them are there except for everyone there, except for Andy is guilty of a crime. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them it's murder or rape or something equally horrible. So it's hard to like characters like that. But I think when you have good writing and good acting, you can actually feel for those characters and love them too. Like you would any hero in a movie.
0: Yeah, definitely. And another like is the music by Thomas Newman. The music is great in this movie. Um, At times, it's not really there much at all. And then other times during big moments, it really swells up and it makes you feel a lot of emotion. Like when Andy is crawling out of the pipe, music's very intense right there and is very well done at the end of the movie. Um, And then throughout the course of the movie, sometimes they will use it, too. But the score is just really good.
1: Yeah, this Thomas Newman, I've mentioned before on the podcast, is my favorite composer ever, at least of of soundtracks and things. Um, he also did Little Women, the 94 version. Shout out. But he I just think that the movie at the music adds so much to the movie. And it's definitely a soundtrack that if you're ever wanting to just listen to music and not singing, it's a great soundtrack to have for your car or to download on iTunes or something, because it's, I don't know. It's just very moving. I, I hear parts of the soundtrack and I will get tears in my eyes. I don't know if I can, I don't know how to explain it, but he's a phenomenal composer. And I think the music seems like some of those other movies we've mentioned, it's like another character. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's added at all the right times.
0: And then another thing is the scenes and the costumes in this movie. When you think about it, there's not a really a lot of different locations that they film at, even with the scenes. So you've got Kind of the, you know, the cells, you've got the mess hall, you've got the library, you've got the warden's office, and then like the yard, basically, where they're outside. But those are like the main five places where the majority of this movie takes place.
1: Oh, I know. That's why I think it's so interesting, too, is they didn't have it wasn't like there were costume changes Mm -hmm. or cool makeup or dance musical scenes or anything (laughs) like that. It's it's primarily a prison and guys wearing all the same clothing. Yep. I do love that it's in the 40s for the at least the first half of the film because that's my favorite fashion decade. Um, so it was cool to see like you only see his wife for a few seconds, but it was cool to see like... Her shoes are like how her hair was. And it's even neat to see when people get out, it's the 60s and how things Mm -hmm. have changed. And it makes you imagine, like, what would it be like to be in prison for 20 plus years? And then you come out and like the whole world has changed. But anyway, I thought that was a testament to good storytelling, that you're engaged with the story, even if a lot of flashy things are not happening like we have in a lot of films today.
0: Yeah, and I think too when you think when you talk about how long they've been in prison, I think that was one thing that I noticed on this watch that I hadn't picked up before, but like Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman have a conversation basically because Morgan Freeman goes up for his 30-year parole, doesn't get it, he's still in jail, but he they're talking about how oh, 30 years is a long time, but it doesn't seem like that long when they've been in there and I just I just thought to myself like 30 years. Like I'm not even 30 yet and I can't imagine spending <laughs> my whole life up to this point in prison. Like that's just, you know, it really made me reflect in that moment just how long that actually is. Yeah. So and I think they do a good job of the movie of kind of capturing that. So yeah. I know you have some other quotes that are your favorites as well. This movie is very quotable and has a lot yeah. of funny quotes at times. That's where a lot of the humor comes from is some of the quotable lines. Um, but I know that you have a couple favorites.
1: Yeah, I, so I'll, I'll try not to do all of them, but of course, everybody references get busy living or get busy dying. Mm -hmm. I thought about putting that on Instagram or something recently, but I also thought now is not an appropriate time to say that. Um, because (laughs) people are dying and it's not like, you know, like, I feel like that could be a really inspirational quote if the world is moving per usual, but it's not right now. Um, Anyway, Andy says to Red at one point in his letter that he writes to him, remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies. That's
0: a great. Quote. And then
1: I love this. So, Andy, I know he's in the prison yard and he was talking to Red and he said, the funny thing is, on the outside, I was an honest man straight as an arrow. I had to come to prison to be a crook hmm. because he kind of learns how to be deceptive. Yeah. and Get out. <laughs> Um, also (laughs) this is a good joke in our family. Um, so I love the count of Monte Cristo. It's one of my favorite stories, one of my favorite movies. Um, but in, in the movie, they actually talk about it and there are people say that these movies are very similar. They are because it's someone that's falsely imprisoned Mm -hmm. that goes to prison for over 10 years. The count of Monte Cristo at 16 years, but anyway, so they're reading it in the library and the guy goes, The Count of Monte Crisco by Alexandrie Damas. Then they have to explain to him that it's Dumas, it's French. And also he says Monte Crisco, not Cristo. Just funny.
0: It is funny, and uh, then Morgan Freeman is, then Tim Robbins is talking about what the book is about, uh-huh. and he's like, "You should fi- okay, filed in fiction classics." Oh yeah. And Morgan Freeman's like, "Oh, we should put that in educational too. <laughs> like it's about getting out of jail." Yep. So that's a very funny scene when they're sorting through those those um, books.
1: <laughs> another moment I love. So. Uh okay so this Bob Gunton actually said this this was so cool it was like when i heard Tom Hanks say things uh in real life when i was in the room with him and then he said something in Woody's voice and that was he said there's a snake in my boots. <laughs> so this is the line that everybody like begs Bob Gunton to say and he said it without us even prompting it like the room got quiet and he said i believe in two things discipline and the bible here you'll receive both put your trust in the lord your ass belongs to me welcome to shawshank that's at the very, very beginning true. and what of a all hard the- Welcome.
0: All the uh, cuss words in the movie, they never once use the Lord's name in vain. In the actual movie, yes. which they they say right. at the beginning that he says that we're not I will not tolerate that here. And then as right. the movie goes on, there's a lot of cuss words in this movie, but they never say those those types of words, which I thought was interesting going through that they stuck to that. And that's just a yeah. good good job of scripting too. If you're going to set that up early, you have to follow through, and they did, definitely so.
1: and they pretty much I feel like they only say the A word and the D word. <laughs> I feel like they yeah. really don't say anything else. But there is there are allusions of prison rape and other things yeah. in this movie that are equally traumatizing. They say Tra- the. F- well, for a much more times, so than cursing. Eh?
0: Yeah, not too many. So, <laughs>
1: um, so then Andy, I'm almost with the quotes, but there's so many good ones. Um, so Andy writes a letter, he leaves a note in the Bible for the warden and it says, dear warden, you were right. Salvation lay within, which is just a good up yours moment to the warden <laughs> before he g- leaves the earth. Um, Then I, this more, I love this quote, not because of the quote itself, but because of the image it conveys. If you've seen the movie enough, you know exactly where this is. Um, So Morgan Freeman is saying you could argue he'd done it to curry favor with the guards or maybe make a few friends among the cons. Me, I think he did it just to feel normal again, if only for a short while. And it's when the men are drinking beers on the roof because Andy helped the prison guard with his taxes and stuff and so they all got beers and they got to work on the roof and work outside for a week which is cool and the last two uh this is red is telling all of the friends because andy's escaped and he's he they all loved sharing these old stories about friends and he says andy dufresne who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side (laughs) And my, my favorite one, I just love this. The quote's actually really long, so I shortened it. Um, but again, Red is reminiscing about his time with Andy. And he says, sometimes it makes me sad, though, Andy being gone. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright.
0: That's a great quote right there. And I had one mm-hmm. more that I really liked that I wanted to Please, share. Please, Jared, so tell me. It's, it's Morgan Freeman when he's narrating, but... It's when um, the the warden basically shoots himself, but he says, I'd like to think the last thing that went through his head other than that bullet was how the hell that Andy <laughs> Dufresne got the best of him. So oh,
1: such a good moment. I feel like if people haven't seen this movie, they're like two people in the world uh, would listen to this. And they're like, oh, my gosh, someone shot themselves. And that's what that's what happened. Like, I'm sure yeah. that sounds very odd, but to everybody else.
0: It makes sense. They get it. So with that, we'll move on to dislikes, which I know you don't have many of. No. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any dislikes of this movie personally. I don't think so. I will say I watched this for the first... I liked this better on my rewatching of this at my current age. I think I watched Mm -hmm. this for the first time at like 15 or 16 just because I knew it was a very popular movie and was highly regarded. I think you have to be of like a certain age to really understand this movie and to get everything that it has... To offer. And I think that's probably somewhere, you know, in your early 20s or so when it starts to really make a lot of sense. So I would say if you're like, because I was just a fan of movies and I knew that this was a very good one. So I watched it early on and I remember not loving it just because I don't think I really connected with a lot of the things that they were talking about just because I hadn't gone through those experiences and things in life and and stuff like that. So I think when you watch it later on, you get more of an appreciation for it. So I would just say that if you're like a, you know, younger and you think maybe I should watch this because it's a really good movie. I will say it's kind of hard to, um, you know, pick up on some of those things when you're not, when you're not the age that, is a little bit older just to, to figure out some of the things that this movie has to say.
1: Yeah, and I... So my dislikes... I did say this was really pretty hard for me. There's a uh-huh. couple things that I just don't like. Um, that I mean, they're just difficult subject matter, I mean. So there... The, like I mentioned, there's prison rape. I hate, obviously, rape of any kind. I yeah. think most people do. Um, but that's really... It's it's hard to know that's what's happening. And it's not worse by any stretch of the mind than when it happens on the outside. But when you're in prison, I I just think like that's already the worst place you can kind of end up. Um, And then Brooks kills himself. That's a spoiler alert. This movie has been out 25 years. But um, that is so sad. And also that is not what happens in the book. Also, Tommy getting killed. um, He gets shot by the guards, that doesn't happen in the book either. Okay. So I get why they put it in a movie because it is more dramatic and it makes you feel more for the character. So I totally understand. But those are three choices that I was like, oh, I hate these things. The rape definitely happens in the book. It's actually worse in the book than the illusion in okay. the movie. So that those are the sense. things I dislike, but I can't harp on the acting, the scenery, the anything. It's, yeah. it's perfect.
0: I don't think I really have any other dislikes either. So I did have two questions for you before we wrap up here. The first question that I yes. have for you is, why do you think there's not a lot of movies about prison and the prison life that are made i mean you have orange is the new black tv show that kind of covers it you have the green mile which came out not too long after this that is also about prison which stars our boy tom hanks but that's not really a subject that a lot of movies try to venture into even though this movie is very good and is set in a prison and other things that have been set in prisons are great movies but this movie in particular um doing so well as it did but it's just not a A place where you see a lot of movies set. So I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that, that, you know, there's a lot of true crime stuff, but not a lot of movies about (laughs) prison.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great question. I don't know that I have a direct answer, but I did read some of this actually last night. Um, people were concerned and thought it wasn't going to do well. And then that it didn't do well because it was about a prison okay. um, because at the time there were a lot of prison movies out. And prior to that, like if we think back to like the forties, like the golden age of Hollywood, a lot of movies were about prisons or prison breaks, like yeah. escape from Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes they don't do it because it's like old hat. It's already been done. It's okay. been done to death, but I do think that it could do with a couple things. I think now people are concerned about being politically correct. Same with myself and they're worried about making something that's a little too dark and dirty or something where it might offend one culture or something it doesn't fit another i don't know and then the other thing is i do think we're trying because america in particular in some parts of the world have become so polarized i think people are trying to lean more towards heartfelt warm uplifting movies like la la land and stuff although there's sad things in that but i i almost think that right now it's like a it's a cultural thing and it's of the moment. I don't think it's going to last, but that would mm-hmm. be my guess. I'm fine with prison films, but I think that a lot of times they're really dark. So like this one, there is so much hopefulness and so many good things in it that ultimately cancels out the setting, if you will. Yeah.
0: And I think I think that's correct because I think if you see a movie, like you see the trailer for this and you're like, oh, that's set in a prison. That's obviously going to be depressing and you don't really go see the movie or know a lot about it. You just say, oh, that's in a prison. Um, that's very depressing. So I can get why you yeah. wouldn't set stuff in prisons. That kind of makes sense. But then you look at orange <laughs> is the new black, which is a very popular TV show, but that again has kind of a serious take, but also a funny, it's more comedic at times as well. So it's can be lighthearted too. So, and then my final question for you before we wrap up here on this episode of the silver screen podcast is why is this your favorite movie?
1: Thank you. I was hoping you were going to ask this. Prepare yourself. Um, <laughs> This is my favorite movie. I did put the stunning musical score in the perfect script. It's just the icing on the cake for me. But what does it for me is the story. I think this movie is actually a timeless film. It's not something that only was relevant in 94 or 93. Um, And everyone can relate to feelings that people experience in the film. So it can be that you're lonely angry, sad, you've been wronged by someone, you're afraid of something. And then I I didn't say everyone, but I would say most people in life experience friendship, which is ultimately the film is about redemption and friendship. So also, I love that this movie is filled with complex characters. I really like when the characters are not easy to love, but you love them nonetheless. Um, Because like I mentioned earlier, a lot of them are murderers and robbers, but you end up sympathizing with almost every single character, except for, of course, like some of the the rapists and stuff like that. I mean, they're just, they're just scum. Um, and then the lessons that come out of this movie, this movie reminds me to uh, get to know people before you judge them. It's a movie about tolerance. You actually notice that really nothing is mentioned about the fact that Red is a black man and Andy's mm-hmm. a white man. You hear Red say a couple things about Andy being a white man, but that isn't the main focal point of the story, which I love because it's not important. Um, also, I forgot to bring up, that character red in the book is actually a white man and he's an Irishman, And that is why they call him red. So I thought that was awesome that they chose to make him a black man in the movie anyway. And then I think this movie ultimately just makes you wonder about, uh, what's, what makes a life well lived, what gives people purpose. And then we really should think about when people are removed from society, much like right now, but I mean, when they're removed from society permanently to go to prison, it doesn't mean they're invaluable or incapable of changing. Um, so I think this is a really good example of patience in the face of adversity, um, hopefulness. And then I just think it's the the ultimate movie about the enduring power of the human spirit. And I like that Andy says the line about salvation lay within, that people ultimately can help themselves. It's great to have faith, but you also need to have faith in who who you are and what you're capable of.
0: I think that's a great, great explanation of why it is your favorite movie, and I agree with Thank a lot you. of that, too, especially the patience thing, because, you know, Red's in prison for 40 years. Andy, it takes him 19 years to dig that tunnel to get out, yeah. basically, so yeah. there's definitely a lot of determination and patience in this movie that has played out, and there's some hardships that the the characters face throughout, but they get through it, and then they eventually get out and get to live happy lives together, which is, which is what you want, so... With yes. that, we'll go ahead and give our scores. Uh, Katie, I think I know what you are going to give this movie. <laughs> well, you
1: did you did this reception. I'm yeah. going to give this 100% and I think I already explained why. It's a perfect nice. movie and I love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am going to give it a solid 90 out of 100 Excellent, so, really good score I mean you can't deny that this is one of the best movies basically of all time yeah. especially one of the best more recent movies I was looking at that AFI list and a lot of their top movies yeah. are ones that are a little bit older um, just because mm-hmm. they are set in like the 30s and 40s some of the more the more popular ones on that list um, which yes. makes sense but this is one that is from not too long ago that is still very very good and I will mention if you want to check out that list they have it on their website and they have a nice PDF that you can print out and if you want to during this time of social distancing try to watch all those or get started on those you can just check them off as you watch them or check the ones off you've already seen so that can be a fun little project while we're social distancing right now so (laughs) 90 out of 100 for me, 100 out of 100 for Katie. And then coming up on the Silver Screen Podcast, we've got a couple different things planned. One, it is the 25th anniversary of Apollo 13. Not the actual mission, but the movie. So Mm -hmm. with Tom Hanks. So (laughs) we will be reviewing that here in a couple of weeks. Also, there's a new movie coming out on Netflix called The Lovebirds with Kumail Nanjiani. That looks pretty cute. So we thought we'd do that since it's a new original movie that'll be out here pretty soon but up next on the silver screen podcast we're going to talk about another tom hanks movie because we love tom hanks on this show and it's a movie that's celebrating its 25th anniversary this year as well which is toy story which is one of the best animated movies of all time Uh, still one of
1: my favorites of all time
0: yeah, so I cannot wait to watch Toy Story again. I love Toy Story. I love the cast of characters in Toy Story, especially the first one. I think they're all just great. And it's another great movie about friendship and overcoming adversity. So we have a little Aww. theme going here.
1: <laughs> so sweet. What a good point. You know, I just did a Toy Story um, puzzle during quarantine. I posted it on social media the other day. Yes.
0: Very nice. And Toy Story is still very popular today, obviously, with Toy Story 4 just coming out last year. So it's been a franchise that has been around for quite a while. We're going to talk about the original coming up on the next episode of the Silver Screen podcast. So join us for our conversation about Toy Story.
1: Until next time, we'd like to thank the Academy.